Now today, as we shift gears from our series in the book of Philippians to talking about our Christmas series, this year I have titled the series, Simplifying the Season. And I don't know about you, but do you ever just get tired of the complexity of Christmas? And how we've made it so commercialized and we've really missed the whole point of the season, and that is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this weekend, as as we kick this series off, I want you to be thinking about that, simplifying the season. And the question today is this question, are you ready for Christmas? A couple of months ago, I was on mission in Walmart. By the way, when I shop in Walmart, it's always a mission. The mission is to get in and to get out. Okay, So if you ever go shopping with me, that's the way it works. But I was on mission, and I was not surprised, given that it was September time, to see all the Halloween decorations. But what surprised me is a couple of aisles over from the jack-o'-lanterns and the ghosts, there was Frosty the Snowman. There was Rudolph the reindeer, and there was Santa. You see, Walmart was ready to celebrate Christmas in September, at least the commercial part of Christmas. Now, one of the things that we like to do in our house is just take the holidays one at a time and just to enjoy them. Otherwise, we're in danger of kind of trying to celebrate new Thanksmas year, which is sort of cramming them all together, and it's this blur of the holidays where we really don't appreciate anything. You see, what we tend to do in our house is after Thanksgiving, we set up the Christmas decorations. Now, I know that there's some of you, and this is not a knock on you, but there's some of you who set up your Christmas lights in July and... and That's okay. You're just eager and excited. We are going to offer free counseling for those that leave them up all year long. (laughs) There's just something wrong with those people. But in all seriousness, are you ready for the season? You see, when we hear that question, we tend to think of a checklist. Is the tree up? Is the tree decorated? Have I bought all the right gifts? Are they wrapped? Did I get the stockings up? Is the house decorated? Are the lights up? Have I sent out all of the right Christmas cards to the right people at the right time so they'll get there in time? And we go through this checklist at Christmas time, but that's not the question I asked. When I asked, are you ready for Christmas? That's a spiritual question of the season. Is your heart ready for Jesus? You see, we can become people who get really caught up in focusing on our homes, but not really focusing on our hearts. In all four of the Gospels, we meet a man called John the Baptist who was charged with the job of preparing the way for Jesus. And in order to do that, it's interesting, what he did is he prepared the people for Jesus. Today, as we take a look at Luke chapter 3, verse 3, and we look at John the Baptist's call to us 2,000 years later, it's really easy for us to say, that's not a Christmas passage. I mean, Jesus is about to start his public ministry. Christmas is already over. But remember, Christmas isn't about a season so much as it is about the Savior. It is about Jesus Christ and his coming and what he wants to do in our lives. So turn with me to Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 3. 
Then John went from the place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And Isaiah spoke of John when he said, He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him, the valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level and the curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth and then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the root of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even the corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. And John replied, don't exalt money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. You see, it's here that you and I, if we're going to be prepared for Christ at Christmas, need to understand this, that the first thing is that we have to hear his voice. Are you going to listen to the Lord this year? Now notice I didn't say, are you going to hear him? Because it's very easy to hear and not to listen. And many of us as parents are very aware of that with our kids. They hear us, but they don't really listen to us. Do you get the difference? You see, you and I need to understand that we need to listen to what the Lord has to say. And Here's the thing, it's not that we don't hear him today. Because notice he is shouting in the wilderness. This is not some little quiet call. This is a great big man call from John saying, I want you to hear what Jesus wants you to hear today. And every day our conscience cries out to us. We hear that, but do we listen to that? And what happens when you and I don't listen to the Lord? Well, what we do is we remove Christ from Christmas. You know what happens when you remove Christ from Christmas? You're left with Mass. You see, years ago, as they looked at the word that they were going to call this special time of the season, they said, this is Christ's Mass. And Mass is the Eucharist. That is the Last Supper. That is where you and I celebrate communion, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But how do you celebrate communion if there's no Christ? How do you celebrate Christmas if there's no Christ? You see, the only thing you're left with is a ritual. And many of us today, we are in danger of reducing Christmas to just a ritual and missing the riches of Jesus Christ. It's this tradition without truth. And I want you to see here where the voice is calling. It's in the desert. Do you know how often God's people are found in the desert in Scripture? God's people wandered for 40 years in the desert. David, when he was fleeing from Saul, went into the wilderness, into the desert. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert. 
And the desert is this really hard place to do life. It's not very hospitable and it's lonely. It's a place of solitude. It's a place where you and I get separated. It is a place of drought. And today, many of us are worn out and weary. We no longer have a desire or thirst for the Word of God. We're not thirsty for witnessing. We're not even thirsty for worship. We come and we kind of go through the motions. Why? Because the desert place is a dry place. And for some of us today, spiritually, we're dry. We're in that desert place. The desert is also a place of extremes. Heat during the day and extreme cold at night. And for some of us, that is the climate of our life right now. We're living under the extreme pressures of trying to produce this heat during the day, of trying to bring home enough paycheck to, to support our families, to try to get our jobs done right, to help the people around us. And then we get home and we're worn out from that intense pressure of the day and we come home to these cold houses. It's not that we're not married, it's that we're not doing life as one like God intended And there are some of you today, you're living in the same house, but you're sleeping in two separate rooms. You're married, but your marriage is really nothing more than just a contract on a piece of paper. And God wants so much more than that. And so he calls to us in these desert places where we're worn out and we're weary and we're experiencing the heat and the cold. And what I want you to understand more than anything else is Jesus meets us where we're at. So often we think we got to get out of the desert to get to God. And you realize that Jesus shows up right where we're at in that lonely, worn out, weary place. And he just says to us, I want to do a work in your heart if you just listen to me. Friday this week, I had gone to Target with my daughter. The next day was her birthday. And while I was there, I'd gotten a call And there was a young man at the hospital who, 29 years old, had just been diagnosed with liver failure and told he only had six months to live. And so as I left the store and was getting ready to head up there, I was almost to my truck, I was about to get in, and I hear this voice, this woman's voice, and she says, sir, sir, and I'm thinking, surely she can't be talking to me. I'm not quite a sir yet, am I? Maybe I am. need to look in the mirror. And I thought as I turned around, well, maybe I dropped something. And she said this to me. She said, are you the pastor of the Mitchell Brian Church? That's kind of a loaded question. (laughs) Why do you want to know? Maybe. No, I didn't say that. I said, sure, I am. And she said, well, can I tell you a, a story? And I said, sure. And she shared with me about her husband and her were up in alliance and they had walked away from God. And their life was a mess. And there they were with their kids and they were fighting and things were just not good. They were in the desert. She says, one Sunday morning I got up and I was was just early in the morning scrolling through Facebook like you do. You just kind of mindlessly scroll through and I'm thinking about all the problems in my life. And all of a sudden you popped up on Facebook and I started listening to you were preaching. And in that moment it's like I heard God say, just come home. So she said, you know what I did? I, I, I Googled and I found a church close by and I woke up my kids and my husband. I said, we're getting ready. We're going to church. And she said, 20 minutes later, we went and we've been going every Sunday and our lives are changed. Now, church, I'm incredibly thankful for Ken and the tech team. Do you realize right now there's a group of people who are in a little room 
making sure that all of this gets broadcast. Because guess what? Some of you are listening online just like that lady did. And you're in that weary, dry place. And Jesus is just calling and he's just simply saying this. I want to do a work in your life. I'm going to meet you right where you're at. But the question is this. Are we going to listen to the Lord today? Or are we just going to make it about a list that we're going to get done for Christmas? You see, it's here that we realize that not only are we to hear, but we also have to heed the voice of Jesus. Secondly, it's not enough for us to just listen to the Lord. He wants us to live for him. And many times we're content just to listen to Jesus, but not really to live for Jesus. And if you and I are going to heed his words, really truly hear and heed, then there's some things that we're going to have to do, and that's called obedience. And the first thing that we find here is that we are called to be obedient to prepare our hearts. And the call here is is for this highway, this road to be prepared. And I want to remind you that this was prophesied, John Preaching in the wilderness was prophesied by Isaiah, clear back in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And there the word prepare is in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the word prepare means to clear out. Now, if you and I go back for a moment and we think about all of the decorations in our home, some of you are like, oh, why do you have to bring this up? It's like the 2nd of December. I don't have anything up yet, okay? You need to get with the July people and kind of figure something out there, okay? Healthy balance. But as you and I think about those things, those decorations, maybe the tree, maybe it was our nativity set, chances are that something else occupies that space the rest of the year in your home. And in order for you to be able to put up that nativity set, you had to clear out what was in its place. And that's what Isaiah is saying to us here, is that we've got to clear out the clutter But here's what most of us do. We spend our time decorating our homes instead of dedicating our hearts. You see, he's not talking about clearing out the clutter in our house so we can make our house pretty for Christmas. He's talking about us clearing out our hearts so that there's room for the Christ this Christmas. And he talks about this road and he says, you know, there's some low spots in the road and there's some high spots in the road and they need to be leveled out. And what was customary in ancient times is when a king would come, that they would do a little road work. They would ready the roads. I I sometimes, as I drive around Nebraska, wish we had some really important dignitary that was coming, so maybe we could get a little road work done. But that's exactly what you and I understand. There's a whole bunch of potholes in the road. There's these mountains, these highs, these lows, and, and they didn't want the dignity going like this. And doesn't that describe many of our lives today with Jesus? Kind of like this yo-yo where we're on this uh, this sickening ride of ups and downs and ups and downs, and I'm in Jesus, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. And you see, we all have highs and lows. And I think the lows here are talking about the disappointments of life, and we've all got disappointments. And there's varying degrees to our disappointments, but, but it creates this low in our life. For some of you, it, it's the disappointment with a prodigal child of watching your kids make bad decisions. For some of you, the disappointment is failure in your marriage For some of you, the disappointment is unforgiveness in your relationships. I met with a young lady last week, and she was going to get married this coming year. And she ended up finding out that the guy that she was going to marry has been cheating on her. That's the heartache, the disappointments that we deal with. 
the lady whose husband decided, you know what, I don't want to be married anymore. I'm going to go off and do my thing. And you figure out how to make the mortgage on the house and feed the kids. The heartaches, especially at this time of the year. I met with a man the other day who's just been diagnosed with cancer. And we've all got these disappointments, but what do we do with the disappointments? If we don't deal with them, if we don't fill in these valleys in our life, guess what? Pretty soon there's potholes that start to show up, the potholes of anger and resentment and bitterness and sometimes jealousy because we look over at someone else's life, especially when we're looking at it through the lens of Facebook and everything seems perfect and we start to become jealous over what God's doing in their life and why isn't he doing this in my life? For some of us, the lows of our life are our anger with God. And we're bitter and resentful of how things have turned out. But there's also the mountains that we've got to level. And I think the mountains are the mountains of expectations that we pile on each other. And I don't know why we seem to want to make Christmas so hard, but we do. Because we pile on expectation after expectation after expectation. It's the expectation that we're going to find all the perfect presents and everyone's going to be happy. It's the expectation that our houses will be perfectly decorated, just like we saw on Pinterest. And meanwhile, our neighbors got his lights set up, and they're choreographed to music, and people are stopping outside, and we haven't even gotten stuff out of the attic or the garage yet. It's the expectation that we're going to have the perfect meal, that we're all going to get along It's the expectations of family when they show up. And we have expectation after expectation. And pretty soon we don't make it through the expectations. How many of us are dying on the mountain of expectation just like people die on Everest and we're up there and we're trying to breathe that thin air in the midst of all the expectations and our lives are just empty and we're dying inside and on the outside we're smiling and it's it's great. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And the few of us that actually make it over the mountain of expectation realize once we get to the top, we got to get down off of this thing. And so we finally arrive in January, and we're worn out, and we're weary. And maybe we had the perfect Pinterest Christmas, but let's be honest, it wasn't the peaceful Christmas that Christ came to give us. And church, I want to remind you, Jesus didn't come so that we could have the perfect Pinterest Christmas. He came so we could have peace at Christmas. Because I want to remind you, the very first Christmas was absolute chaos. It was not Pinterest. It was pain. And into the midst of that pain, Jesus brought peace. So how do you and I deal with the highs and the lows, this clutter that is killing us today and is taking up space in our hearts so that there's not room for the things that Jesus wants to put there. John says that we've got to confess. That means we come clean, we're honest with God, and we talk about the clutter in our heart, the sin that that is taking up space and separating us from the Savior. But you see, most of us, we don't really confess. We pray, we pray for the things we want, the things we need, We talk to God about how we want our life to work out, but we don't actually talk about our sin with the Savior, which is is really crazy considering the fact that he came and died on the cross for our sin. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you actually spent any meaningful time in confession? How much of your prayer life involves you talking to God about what's cluttering up your heart? You see, most of the time we talk about our circumstances and all the external things. We don't talk about the internal, what's really killing us inside. And we think if we could just change all of the circumstances, if I get a better job, if I did this and this and this, all of the other problems would go away. But most of the issues that we've got are heart issues from all of the clutter in our lives. 
And those of us that actually do get honest with God and pray, and I think one of the reasons we don't confess is we have this, this warped theology today that's true, but, but here's the warped theology, and it's that, well, God already knows everything, so why do I need to talk to him about my sin? He already knows about it, right? And that's true, but we're called to talk to him about that, to actually admit that and to recognize that. You see, those of us that do confess, I think we generalize our confession, and it goes something like this, Lord, if there's any sin in my life, would you forgive me? Can I tell you that's not confession? Because confession is specific. Imagine for a moment that you committed a crime and your conscience got a hold of you and you went down to the police station to confess and you walked into the police station and this is what you said, I confess, I did it. What would be the first question they asked you? Did what? What are you confessing to? You see, confession is specific and we've got to get specific about our sin. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing too big for God to forgive you of. I wonder what would happen today if I would ask, hey, if you sin this week, would you put up your hand? Let's just find out. If you sin this week, would you be honest about it and put up your hand? Look around for a moment, church. Now, what if I were to do second part of that? <laughs> That's part A. That's a hard part, but it's easier than part B. What if I went back to the tech booth and I got a microphone and I walked around to every person that raised their hand and said, would you share with us what was the sin that you committed this week? What would most likely happen is we would try to think of some socially acceptable sin that we could share. So we'd say something like this, well, I was running late, my alarm didn't go off, I, I got out of bed in a hurry, I stubbed my toe and I got really angry and I know God wasn't happy about that. That's, that's my sin this week. Because we know no one would really judge us too harshly for that. But, but would we be honest and just simply say this? You, you know, I coveted my neighbor's wife. I was checking out some other girl while I was in the checkout line this week. I was online and, and I was looking at, at stuff that I shouldn't be looking at. There's this person that hurt me deeply and I hate them and I want them to die. And sometimes I fantasize about them getting killed in a car wreck because there's unforgiveness in my heart. Would we confess that? Or would it just be some socially acceptable sin? How honest are we willing to get? And some of you right now, you're thinking, yeah, but this is a confession between me and God. It is if the sin is between you and God. But what if we've wronged somebody else? What if our sin has hurt their hearts? You see, James 5.16 says that you and I are to confess to one another so that there can be healing. And here's what Satan knows, that when you and I confess and come clean, when we clear out our heart, we're free. And when you and I are free to really, truly be forgiven and to forgive other people, our hearts are completely open to whatever it is that Jesus has for us. And you see, Satan knows that, and so he wants to keep us locked up in the prison of unforgiveness, in the prison of unconfession. But you see, it's not just that we're to confess, we're to repent. And some of you are thinking, well, didn't we just talk about that in confession? No, repentance is different than confession. How many of you 
have perfect children that always obey you. I didn't think so. In your Pinterest world, you do, right? You fantasize about that. Me either. And so maybe you can relate to this. Imagine if you have a son who he's mean to his younger brother, and you talk to him about being mean and how it's a sin and it's not right, and he he understands that and he feels bad, and one day he kind of hits on his brother, and you don't know it, but he comes to you as his parents, and he confesses that, and he's remorseful, and he's crying, and he's looking at his younger brother, and he's saying, I'm so sorry, and I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want to hurt your heart. And then later on that afternoon, he beats up his younger brother. Has he repented? No, the only thing he's done is confessed. You see, repentance revolves around change. It is a turning away. And there's two requisites to repentance. The first is that we turn from sin, and the second is that we turn to the Savior. And see, what most of us do is we, we, we recognize the sin and we, we turn away from the sin, but we never really turn to Jesus. And so we're still orientated towards sin and not the Savior. And so it's not long before we go back to the same sin or a similar sin. That's why many prisoners end up back in prison shortly after they're released. Because while they may confess it, they may even feel bad for it, They go right back to that former lifestyle, the same friends, the same attitudes, the same actions, and they end up orientating themselves to the same sin that sentences them to the same place called prison. And that's where some of us are at today. Because we may have confessed it, we may have felt bad for it, but we never really repented and orientated our lives back towards Jesus You see, when you feel bad but there's no repentance, that's called regret. And there are many of us today that are living in regret, and regret is way different than repentance. You see, regret focuses on getting caught, and it focuses on the consequences. Repentance focuses on Christ. And many of us today, what we regret is that we got caught. We regret the consequences. In other words, if I hadn't gotten caught, it would have been fine. No, it wouldn't have been fine. It would have still been sin, and God knew about that. And sometimes we need to celebrate getting caught, right? But you see, what we tend to do is we tend to focus on the consequences. That's regret. Instead of focusing on Christ, and that's repentance. Regret focuses on the failure. Repentance focuses on forgiveness. Regret focuses on the past. Repentance focuses on the present and the future. Because here's what regret will do in your life. It will cause you to be caught up in the prisons of your past, shackled to your shame. And there are many of us today, we are just living in guilt, living in guilt, living in guilt. Why? Because we're focused on regret. And we run around with all these regrets. And here's the thing, when there's true repentance, there's not regret. Because God takes and uses those things in our life. You see, what happens is you and I are orientated towards the master and not the mistake. And therefore, we don't have to repeat the same mistakes, whether it was our parents or whether it was us. But you see, there's another part to this, and that is what to produce. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What is that fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you notice there's three groups, and they all come and ask John the same question. Okay, we've confessed, we've repented, we've reorientated our lives towards Jesus. What does that look like? What should we do now? 
And that ought to be the question that we ask as believers. Okay, I'm living for Jesus. What should I be doing? What, what does that kind of a life look like? And it's interesting, in all three cases, with all three groups, John basically says, love people. Be kind to people. Be generous to people. Be gentle to people. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Allow the Spirit of God to work in your life to where you start to serve people and you stop being selfish and focusing on yourself. And interestingly, all of these orientate around possessions. And, and why is that? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, these three groups actually are very different from each other, and these three groups actually hate each other. We tend to overlook that in the passage. But one group is the crowd. These are general Jews, regular Jewish people. And then there are the corrupt tax collectors. These are the turncoats. They're Jewish, but what they're doing is they're levying a tax against their families, their own people, the Jews, to pay to the Romans so the Romans can keep Roman soldiers and occupy the Jews. How angry would you be over that? And so they hate these corrupt tax collectors. And it's not just that they're tax collectors, they're corrupt. They're not just collecting enough for the Romans, they're also taking some for themselves. And they're robbing their own people and making their own people poor and destitute. And they hate them. And then there's the Roman soldiers. And you see both the tax collectors and the Jewish people hate the soldiers. And the soldiers despise the Jews and they look down on the tax collectors. You see, every group hates the other two groups. And here's what's amazing. They're all there with John asking the same question. What should we do? You see, here's what repentance does is it takes away the barriers of hostility and hate. And it replaces that with grace and mercy. Because here's the thing. You can't come to the cross and experience the grace and the mercy of God and walk away and hate people. Walk away and have your little clicks where you feel like it's okay for you to, to point out other people and look down on other people. You see, here's the reality. They're all asking the same question. Why? Because the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And I love how it brings this unity to people that absolutely prior to that hated each other. That's what Jesus does. And we have a massive problem of, of culturally being split apart today. And some of it's based on our skin color, some of it's based on, on race, some of it is based on education or lack of education, and we're constantly divided, and we're, we're constantly as a nation looking for what's the answer, and we find it right here, the answer is Jesus, because if we would all come to that place of confession and that place of repentance and allow God to, to replace that hard heart with, with His heart, we would have a heart for one another. But you see, there's a fourth group, and that's the Pharisees. And what do the Pharisees do? They show up to watch. You see that? They didn't come to participate. They're, they're, they're content to watch other people confess. They're content to watch other people repent. They're content to watch fruit come out of other people's lives because they think they've already arrived. And John makes it very clear, just being a Jew is not enough. You need Jesus and there are some of us today, we have spiritually become smug in our church attendance or the fact that our parents did certain things in the church or, or whatever the situation is, our works. And so we were like, I'm good. I don't need to confess. I don't need to repent. I don't really need to truly thirst after Jesus as a deer pants after the water. 
So I want to ask you, which group are you in today? Where are you at in your heart? What's really occupying the space of your heart? Can you honestly say that it's so cleared out of the clutter that there's room for Christ? Or is it a lot of clutter and a little bit of Christ this Christmas? Now, for some of you, the reason that you're going to have a hard time celebrating Christ this Christmas is because, quite honestly, it's hard to celebrate the birthday of someone you don't know. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're at a place in your life where you recognize that you're a sinner, but, but you've never really, truly asked Jesus to forgive you from your sins. You've got religion, but you don't have a relationship. And here in the stillness of the next few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me and accept Christ in your life. And so, congregation, I'd just like you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And if that's you, you know that you're just celebrating Christmas, but not Christ, because you don't know Him then I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. And you can do one of two things. You can pray silently in your heart. You can pray out loud. There's not a single person in here that would have a problem hearing you out loud pray and ask Jesus into your life. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Maybe it's online. You just pray right where you're at in your living room. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I can't do anything, good works to get to heaven. And I believe that, Jesus, you came and you died on the cross, and it's by your blood that that I can be forgiven. But, Jesus, you didn't stay dead. Three days later, you rose from the grave. And right now, right here in the stillness of this place, I'm asking you, as I cry out from my desert, would you come into my life and save me from my sins so I could be a child of God? Amen. Church. There are some of you that prayed that prayer a long time ago, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. But there's still things that are cluttering up your heart. And here as we close our service today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to the altar. There's nothing special about this place. It is concrete covered with carpet. But sometimes you have to do something physical. And for some of you today... You just ask Christ in your heart and it's a time just for you to come and spend a few moments with him here at the altar. For some of you, you've, you accepted Christ a long time ago, but that clutter in your heart. For some of you, you're angry with your spouse, those things that they've done and you don't understand. They've hurt your heart and there's that unforgiveness and maybe you just need to come and confess that to God. Maybe you just need to come and pray for your spouse today. For some of you, it's your kids, they're prodigal kids and they're far from God and it's just a time to come and cry out, God, would you somehow through this season, maybe through a song, would you just get a hold of my kid's heart and just draw them back to your heart? For some of you, you've been wronged by people and hurt by people. For some of you, you're going through some scary things and you don't understand. For some of you, you're angry with God and what's really cluttering up your heart is your anger towards God. Whatever it is that's cluttering up your heart and causing you to not have room for Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to join me here in a moment. I'm going to pray. We're going to play some music. And you just come. And whatever it is, you just talk to God. You can talk out loud. You can talk silently. It's your space and it's your time. And here's the thing. There's going to be other people that don't come. Don't worry about what other people do or don't do. Because here's the thing. That group of people, they really weren't focused on the Pharisees. They were so focused on Jesus. And that needs to be you today. Father, as we come here, there are many 
who have weights in their life and in their heart. And, and it's just a time where we need to come and we need to let go of those things. And we just need to confess some things before you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help us not to hold back because of embarrassment. Not to hold back because we hear that little voice of Satan telling us to just sit still. But God, help us to just get up and come to you. And if we can't kneel here, would you just help us come sit on the front row? For we pray these things in your name. Amen.